Hey everyone, school may be online only right now, but this podcast, uh, um... You want to finish that statement? Yeah. Uh, this podcast is also online. Good job, buddy. Heck of an intro. (laughs) Hi, I'm Clint. I'm Chad. And this is Schoolja. The podcast made by teachers for teachers. Brought to you by two middle-aged dads and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about the American education system. But more than everything else, this podcast is just so we can chat with someone who doesn't live in our homes. (laughs) (laughs) This quarantine is pretty exhausting for everyone, and we're going to talk more about how teachers are dealing with the current situation. But first, I need a break from the constant yo-yo between boredom and panic. Chad, please cheer me up. All right, man, here we go. So uh, another hypothetical scenario for you. This one's pretty straightforward, but I'm just curious to hear what you have to say. So let's say tomorrow you woke up and you were a, you taught something different, something K through 12, but you were not a high school English teacher anymore. Before you answer this, I want you to assume that you have all your years of experience and knowledge and everything else that you would have in this other area. So it's not like you're starting fresh, but what would you teach? What what would you choose to teach if you could do it? I guess if you could do it all over again. Hmm, that's a good question. If I could do anything that I wanted, anything at all, I think I would want to teach fifth or sixth grade physical science because I really love like the the mechanic kind of stuff, like levers and pulleys and uh, electricity and all of those kinds of like principles of science. You get to do a lot of really cool labs and experiments and ideas. It's not so complicated in the math department that I couldn't handle it. And I think that I would have a lot of fun playing and making science education a lot of fun. My dad, I remember my dad doing a lot of labs with his fifth grade and sixth grade students. And I always was like in awe of how cool those things were. And now that Sarah is a fifth grader and we're doing distance learning, she's having to figure out a bunch of different things. And just the last couple of days, we've been doing some of her science work together so that she can understand what's happening. And we talked about fulcrums and centers of balance and how to build a bridge out of pennies and all of these different things, kind of utilizing the basics of science. And I I love that stuff. I think that's super fun. Well, and what's cool about that is like those kind of things are truly meaningful as a learning tool at at that age. I've just done some stuff with my kids in the wood shop building some things in, in the last few weeks. And it's been really fun to like see the the light bulbs come on and see them working with their hands and, and really feeling like they're learning something. So, so yeah, I, I totally see that. Uh, what would you choose? I guess I had the benefit of thinking about this because I posed the question. You know, I, I do want to preface this too by saying like, I don't think there's any teaching job that sounds like easier. And I mean that as a respect for like everyone who teaches, because I think a lot of times people think like, well, that must be really easier. That would be a lot of fun. I can tell you no matter what subject it is and what level it is, there is a upside and a downside to all of it. I had thought originally about something along the lines of like music. And the reason why is because I've always wanted to be musical. And so knowing that I was going to wake up tomorrow morning and be a music teacher, that would that would imply that I had years and years and years of music experience and, and all of a sudden now I'm musical. So I thought that would be pretty cool. That being said, I don't know if I would enjoy the teaching part of it. I, you know, one thing about me having kind of a side business as a woodworker is people have said like, oh, you'd probably really like to teach woodshop. And I do think there sometimes can be a difference. Your, your passion uh, does not necessarily have to be something you teach. So I actually am going to go kind of along the same lines as you. I don't know if I would necessarily want to do the science, but I think I would choose to be like a fifth or sixth grade homeroom teacher or just teach a fifth grade class where I did kind of all all the subjects or at least a lot of them. When I was a principal um, for one year at a five through eight 
I guess, middle school slash upper elementary school. I really enjoyed that age of, of students. There's still kind of a curiosity and an innocence and kind of a eagerness to, to please and, and to work hard for most of those kids. But they also have a little bit more maturity where you can have some conversations with them and things like that. And I really enjoyed kind of the fifth and sixth grade age group. And, you know, is I love high school and I would never not teach high school. Um, but the the added kind of pressures of needing to get credits and needing to you know pass certain classes in order to move on to other classes. There's a lot of things that go in there. And, and then also just, you know, high school kids are starting to kind of get to a point where they're really questioning a lot about, do I need this? And I have this other plan for life. My schooling isn't a part of that. And sometimes those are really hard things to handle. Not that I don't enjoy them, but it would be kind of nice sometimes to, to not have to answer those questions all the time. So yeah, I think I would pick like fifth grade as well. Yeah. Apathy is definitely more of a challenge with high school than it is with late elementary. Well, I feel a lot better. That was kind of nice to go down a, a hypothetical situation uh, rabbit hole and, and think about that. Thank you. You bet. Way to fix me, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's hear a word from our sponsor. Did you know a recent study found that 99% of office workers were dissatisfied with their current writing implement? Why is it so hard to find the right pen? They're either too thick or too thin. They smear or smudge won't write upside down or just run out of ink too quickly. It seems when you find a pen that can write on any surface, it doesn't come in the color you want, or the pen that writes in the rain bleeds through every paper you write on. Well, the people at Hawkins National Laboratory have a solution for you. Yep, the perfect pen. The first ink-based writing instrument in the world that meets every one of your needs. Do you prefer a thick line or a thin line? We do that. Do you want your pen to write in the dark, upside down, in the pouring rain? Yes, yes, and yes. The Perfect Pen is permanent, writes on any surface in any color, and easily washes out of clothes. Don't worry, lefties. The Perfect Pen will never smear or smudge and is also completely erasable. How can we make a pen that pretty much does everything you want, even if those things seem to contradict each other? Well, if we told you, we'd have to kill you. Seriously, we can't tell you. So never buy another pen off the shelf again. Reach for The Perfect Pen and find pure writing bliss. The Perfect Pen. It's perfect. So today we're going to be super obvious and talk about the pandemic. As of our recording time, both of our states have declared the school year in the classroom effectively over. Which means that we're now going completely online, which is new and hard and pretty egregious in how it advantages rich kids with high-speed internet and computer access over everyone else. Uh, let's just process all of this. Clint, how you doing? Ah... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That kind of sums up my whole, Some my whole life. Maniacal right laughs right there. Yeah. It has been very challenging to wrap my head around this new situation and how am I going to deliver information and uh, have students be able to deliver a product back without me being able to be there. A lot of the teaching that I do, even though it's English, is pretty hands on. Like, I like that I am able to be there to answer questions and to help explain and and make sure that everybody is on the same page. And it is very strange uh, trying to convert everything that I do into something that kids can do on their own in little digestible chunks and to not expect too much from them because, you know, they are on their own and also they are in the middle of a pandemic just like us and are feeling stress just like us. 
And I've been dealing with it for three weeks. You just started having to deal with kind of the online learning because you guys were kind of canceled through spring break. How are you doing? I mean, it's it's kind of a emotional roller coaster in, in many ways these last few weeks where there's times where I, I'm really uh, appreciating getting to see my family more and and be with them and and have the ability to step away from work for an hour and do something and then come back. I mean, some of those things are, are nice. And um, you can but, go to the bathroom whenever you want. Yeah. You go to the bathroom whenever you want. You can take a, you know, you can have a snack. Um, the dress code is much looser here <laughs> at my house, but, but um, this, this week has been the first one where we've really tried to get into the teaching mode. And in, in the first five days, I'm, I'm really struggling with, uh, you know, figuring out how I'm going to just get my kids to be engaged. There's still so many question marks right now with how grading's going to work, if grading's going to happen. I mean, no one has an answer and I'm totally okay with that. Like, I understand I'm not expecting that from anyone yet. It's kind of one of those things where you, you go to your principal or you go to your superintendent or you ask the state. No one, no one knows right now. No one has a solid thing. So there's so much just uncertainty. And then just like personally, the one thing that kind of hit me this morning, and, and again, like my wife and I have spent a lot of time talking about this and thank God I you know, have a great family because this would be really hard, um, you know, to do this alone or to do this in a, in a household where maybe that's not the place you want to be. We've kind of asked ourselves, like, is this sustainable? Like are this routine that we're in, are we, are we going to be able to do this for the next two or three months? And do we need to create even more regiment in our day-to-day lives and things as simple as like when life was normal, like Tuesday nights, my wife worked late. And so we understood that and we we knew like what our dinner plans were for that night versus Wednesday and things like just those little things that like break the week apart that allow you to kind of have some sense of schedule. And we're just talking about just saying like on Wednesdays, we're going to do family movie night. And on Saturdays, like Emily and I are going to rent a movie and like build these things into our schedule just so we feel like there's some kind of some sense of normalcy. Yeah. And, And even if it's small, all things, you know, this is game night. This is the morning we get up and have pancakes, whatever that may be, but to try to keep it consistent. But the one thing that really hit me this morning, and I think typically in our life, we have these little things that we're kind of, that are in the, in the future that you're kind of looking forward to. And it might be like, Hey, in two weeks, we got the tickets for this play or, you know, next month we're going to go visit my parents who live three hours away. And there's none of that right now. And that's okay. Like we don't need those things to survive, but I definitely think that's something that kind of gets you through sometimes more difficult days, even just knowing that for Friday's coming, you know, during a grinding work week that's all gone. And so like just trying to build some of that back into our, our daily life, I think is, is going to be really important for me just for like my own personal mental health. Yeah. It kind of feels like you're wandering around in a thick fog where you can see about five feet in front of you, but you don't know what's coming. I mean, it's hard to see even what's going on behind you. Like you kind of forget what happened. I was looking on Twitter and one of my former students was like, it's so weird. I can't remember what I did yesterday. And I think it's because I'm not doing anything of consequence anymore. Like I don't, I just don't remember. Like the days are blending together and it it can be very frustrating. One of the other things that's been just really challenging for me is part of the point of being a teacher is seeing the kids. Oh yeah, no kidding. Talking to them and, and getting some energy from them. And oh, I have felt just dead inside not getting to interact with them. And then most of my social life is based through work. 
Like summer is really fun, but I'm always very excited to go back and see my friends again. More than anything else, um, this has reminded me that I'm in the right profession in so many ways because of that, because that's where I kind of get my recharge and my energy from working with those kids. And also because I dislike this computer piece of it so much, <laughs> you know, the the emails and the dropping things in files and all that stuff. It's, it's certainly not my strong suit. I have started doing a daily video that I'm putting out on Instagram and Facebook for kids and things like that. So like, I'm still trying to find some way to connect with them that way. But yeah, I, that recharge piece is, is, is huge for sure. What are some of the things that you're doing, Chad, to, to connect with your kids? How are you setting up assignments? What are your kind of expectations uh, for kids at this point? Because I think there's a lot of teachers out there who are just like, I don't know how, I don't know what to do. I'm still kind of, I'm probably more on that side of it. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking of, and you and I have talked, but I, I probably, I really haven't had any contact with people outside my math department. You know, in this next week, I think I'm going to work on trying to get a, a hold of other people to kind of ask them the same thing. Right now, I teach my main classes with one other teacher. And so he and I are putting together basically a group of assignments that go out at the beginning of the week. We have to submit those to our district to be printed for the for the families who require printed stuff. And then we also put it on online. This is really our first week of assigning things. So right now, because I honestly do not know, I'm just asking kids to hold on to all their work. And I don't know if at some point I'm going to have them scan it and send it to me or if it's going to be dropped off somewhere and I can collect it or if we're even doing that. I, I just I don't know yet. And then the other piece I'm doing, and people that are listening, if you want to follow along, you can. I've, I've created a new Instagram handle, at Madsen Math, and uh, I'm doing a daily question in the morning, and then I come back in the afternoon with kind of the answer. And it's nothing spectacular. It's just I'm hoping kids are watching it and solving something. It's all review stuff. It's nothing new. I'm not doing a lot of teaching. It's more just kind of questions and then and then the solution. I'm just trying to keep them, I guess, sharp. One of the things that we're debating about is do we move forward in content or do we just try to keep kids kind of up to speed on what we've worked on so far this year? So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm doing as of right now. By the time this airs, it might be something different. What about you? So I finished up the unit we were working on. We were in the middle of a novel unit and I just had them finish and we did some quizzes online and then they wrote a little essay for me. And at this point, I'm kind of just looking for completion. Are they are they actually doing the reading? Do they know what's going on? And can they tell me a little bit about what was, you know, the prompt? Can they keep up with the essay expectations that we've been working through all year long? That was kind of it. Like right now I'm in the middle of spring break and when we come back, that's when we're going to start. Everything that we're doing is new. And so what I'm doing is kind of like you, except for I'm not doing it daily. I'm doing it weekly because I'm lazier. I'm making a little video explaining what the week's work is and then also including some dumb little trivia questions and and facts and stuff that is based on I don't know if you've ever seen the um, kids version of CNN called CNN 10 it's 100% a ripoff of that I call it the English 9 because it's nine minutes long and so I'm doing that as kind of my engagement and then I'm having the kids pick a novel that they are interested in and they're kind of just doing an independent reading and and answering questions and and doing stuff I have a, I have some discussion boards set up online that the kids can go on and uh, read what other people are saying about their books and comment on what they're saying and they have an expectation of you need to have one post per week and then you need to comment on other people's posts and then I have a um, an online journal that they're going to where I ask them a question and they just write for a couple of paragraphs about 
whatever it is that the prompt is, or if they have something else that they'd rather talk about, they could talk about that. It just needs to be two paragraphs long of well-punctuated, grammatically correct writing. Uh, just kind of keeping those skills up. But we're not breaking any new ground here. It's all it's all review just using different novels or different writing uh, prompts. I'm trying to keep it as fun and light as possible. I wanted to give them th- some choice so that they weren't just slogging through a packet. Uh, but the problem is because it's pretty heavily online activity, for those students that aren't able to go online, the packet is just, you know, really boring and I'm not a fan of that and because there's no social interaction, there's nothing else, but I don't know what else to do. You know, we're trying the best we can to make it, other than my, my Instagram posts, like the assignment that they can access online is exactly the same as the assignment that, they, that they're getting in print. Actually, some of the kids are probably just getting it online and printing it themselves. Um, so it's really the same thing. We all know that's not the best way to do it. I don't know how you get that missing piece that makes teaching so much of an art form. Uh, through through the internet. And I think that we're going to have to figure it out. As an industry, we're going to have to figure it out because I don't see this ending. Uh, and maybe this is just me being super pessimistic, but uh, as we go forward into the future, I would not be surprised if schools start up online next year. I don't have any inside information. I don't know that that is the case, but based on the small amount of things I've learned from the news and things I kind of know about uh, how viruses work, until we have a vaccine, I just don't see large gatherings being a thing. Like, I think people will start going back to work, but I don't know that people will be still allowed to get into groups larger than like 50 people. So let me ask you this. So if let, let's assume that, that we have to do this for a while. If you had all the resources you need technology-wise, and if you could guarantee that every kid, like in a perfect, in a perfect scenario uh, where every kid had the same access and everything, would you do anything differently? I mean, the biggest thing that I would change, and this is very specific to me, is that we would, I would not be giving them the choice on what novel to read we would all read the novel that was orig- that I originally had planned and we would work through it and there would be a lot of uh, a lot more discussion questions and those kinds of things and I would have to post a lot of uh, videos of myself explaining different contextual clues and things that they would need to understand in order to understand the novel and I would have to set up a system for answering questions quickly. Part of me feels like it's the immediacy of being there explaining something to someone in person that makes education possible and interesting. And I don't know how much making a video of that works. Well, even if even if everything were equal, I, you still don't have like you still can't account for the things like kids are perhaps watching their siblings while their parents are at work and all these other things that it's not just about lack of technology. Some of the kids have the technology, but they they aren't available at 11 o'clock on Friday. I mean, you think, well, you would have been at school like the, you, you should be available, but things have changed in a much in a much bigger way. The other thing I, I wanted to throw in as you were talking that, you know, I think we already know this, but something that literally takes maybe 15 seconds in a classroom when you're sitting next to a kid or when you're looking over their shoulder is sometimes hours of back and forth emails. <laughs> not only is it because it's not immediate, they're not getting it right then and you're not getting it right then, 
but it's also like, especially for, I mean, it's probably for everybody, but it, it's almost impossible to explain a, a math problem in an email. Right. Explaining your expectations is so much faster and simpler than going through and writing it down and thinking about every single angle and trying to make sure that you cover everything that any kid might possibly question or get wrong in one document and not make it so overwhelming for kids that they won't read it at all. You know, and that's that's where I really thought, and, I, and I've and i seen your first video, your English 9, and it's really good. You definitely are not lazy. That took a lot of work. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for Instagram, you have to keep them under 60 seconds. And I mean, it's a good half hour to put that together, edit it every morning and every afternoon. But what I was, what I was getting to with that is I really thought and hoped that would be a way to engage kids because I thought, well, they're already on Instagram or they're already on social media. It's 60 seconds. It's one question. Maybe this will be like the the way to reach them. To be to be honest, early results are I'm I'm frustrated. I'm getting a lot of kids watching and I'm getting getting a lot of likes, but what I'm not getting is a lot of engagement. And so it's a little bit frustrating on my end because you know it's kind of like when you plan a great lesson and it kind of falls flat and the kids don't like it. it. It's kind of how it's feeling a little bit, but I'm gonna keep powering through. It's one of those things where like the little reward is sometimes like what you need for to motivate a kid. And it's not like candy or anything like that, but just sometimes the good job in front of everybody, you know, like you get a stamp on your paper or a sticker or whatever. And it's hard to do that virtually. Today, I am going to put everyone who has responded this week, their names in like a hat or do an online random spinner or something. And I'm going to like pick somebody that I'll announce via the, the Instagram feed. And as just like, a, I don't know, I'll give them I don't know if I can send things to people or not. <laughs> can we send mail? I, I don't even know. Through the physical yeah. mail? Yeah, I think so. Okay, maybe I'll send them something. Maybe that'll get more kids to be like, oh, there's there's a prize here. Well, obviously, this is an ongoing situation. As, as we work our way through it, we'll keep you updated on what's working for us, what isn't working for us, and how to stay sane or at least try to stay partially sane. <laughs> and here's another word from one of our sponsors. Hi, this is Clint Hill from the hit podcast, Schooled Ya. As a teacher... It is annoying having to go through so many pens and markers throughout the day. Dry erase for the whiteboard, red for correcting, blue for signatures, and permanent for posters. Every one of them uses a different ink, is a different size, and is easily lost. Pens are just the worst. Well, they used to be. Recently, the good people at Perfect Pen sent me a sample to try out for a week. It was amazing. No matter what application I needed the pen for, it was always the perfect pen for the job. I could go directly from writing notes on the whiteboard to signing a bathroom pass without missing a beat. The ink works in all circumstances. How do they do it? I don't know. I just host the world's greatest education podcast. I don't study ink technology. Besides being great for writing on all the surfaces you want it to be used on, it won't make a mark on things that it shouldn't. I'm forever ruining pants by sticking my pen in a pocket, forgetting about it, then running it through the wash. When I inevitably did that with my perfect pen, my pants were fine and my pen still worked. Kids can't graffiti the desks or give themselves fake tattoos, but they can label their folders with ease. Finally, these perfect pens are loss-proof. I threw mine out the window in the middle of class just to see what would happen. As soon as one of my students needed me to correct their essay, the pen was back in my hand. Good as new. So get yourself a perfect pen. They're perfect. And welcome back. It's now time for our favorite segment of the show. Wait, what? It's our opportunity to share something that doesn't involve the COVID-19 crisis. Ah, thank goodness. And this time we both want to talk about what everyone I think literally everyone else is talking about Tiger King. What in the world is going on with Tiger King? It is the weirdest, weirdest show. For those of you 
who have been living in a cave or managed to get yourself out to some cabin in the woods, you may not have heard of the television show Tiger King. It's a seven-part, I think, documentary on Netflix, and it involves a guy who goes by the name of Joe Exotic, and Joe Exotic owned a zoo that primarily had big cats, mostly tigers, and he is a gay man who is a polygamist. He has a frosted tips mullet. He has a fake music career, <laughs> and he also is now in jail for hiring a hitman to kill someone. Everything about this show is ridiculous. Anytime you see something that like opens the, the porthole to a, a world that you didn't know existed, boy, the big cat world is messed up. I mean, Joe Exotic is messed up enough, but I mean, throughout the show, they also document quite a few other big cat owners and people that are into big cats. And there is nothing about it that is in any way relatable to me. It is so bizarre. It was funny. I was watching it and my cat, which you used to own and you gave to me for my daughter's birthday. Mac and cheese. Yes, mac and cheese. He jumped up on the bed while I was watching this show and I was petting him and I was like, oh no, I'm part of the problem. I have a cat. <laughs> I, I have to wonder, do you think this would have been as big had the quarantining not been taking place? Or do you think it was just everyone was in front of their TVs and needed an escape? I think it definitely boosted it. Something that was weird to talk about that was not quarantine. And the reason I think that it probably got a boost is that I hear a lot more buzz about this than the far superior and even weirder Wild Wild Country that came out, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but uh, also was a somewhat lengthy Netflix documentary about a world that I didn't really know anything about this time. It was the Rajneeshi weird kind of sex cult <laughs> that was in that was in Antelope, Oregon for a while in the 80s. There was a lot of buzz about that show, but it wasn't nearly the Tiger King buzz. Man, every episode of the Tiger King, you got introduced to just another character that you're like, this is unreal. Like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, it felt like if you wrote a story or a movie about the secret underworld of tiger owners. No one would believe it. Yeah, every one of those characters you'd be ever. like, no, that's a little out there. Which of the characters do you think is the like like the most despicable and awful character in the show? Because they're oh all pretty despicable gosh. and awful. Like, there's not really anyone that's totally redeemable. I actually think Doc Antle might be one of the worst guys. Agreed. He creeps me out. He has, like, multiple wives. It does kind of sound like he recruits very young women to come in and, and basically gives them lots of stuff and and has them do whatever he wants and live there forever. And he's very like sexual in nature in that way. And he just seems really creepy. Yeah, Doc was my main one because he's a polished version of the other crazy people. Like he's, he's the version that is presentable to the world. Like his zoo doesn't look like they torture the animals. His, he doesn't look like he has all of these messed up problems. In fact, he, he is the tiger trainer in like a Britney Spears video. And he's the tiger trainer for all these other movies. And um, he's from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And when Nikki was there on vacation with her family a couple of years ago, she was like, oh, Sarah, my daughter would love that place. That seems fun. You know, it's it doesn't seem skeevy like all the other ones. But he is just as gross and weird and awful as everyone else. He just is more presentable. And that... That to me is is scarier. It's kind of funny. The character I liked the most, that I felt the most sympathy toward, was the drug kingpin that uh, was the basis for Scarface, that also owns tigers. Right. I forgot about him. That's how crazy yeah. it is. We yeah. forgot about the drug kingpin that Scarface was based on, because 
everyone else was so weird. Strange show. It's one of those things like I would recommend anyone to see it, but I would. It's always with a caveat that like just be ready. It's really bizarre. If you are a soft heart with animals and seeing animals in distress bothers you, then you shouldn't watch this show because you will see some animal abuse and other and other issues that uh, you can't unsee. All right. Well, that's it for us. Please tell us all about how you're coping with the quarantine. We, we really want to know. So uh, we have an email address for that. You can contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Astoria. You can also find me on Instagram at Chatterboxes and at my web store, Chatterboxes.com. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. <laughs> and all our sponsors are fake. And as always, a big shout out to my wife, Nikki, for a wonderful theme song and a big shout out to Chad's family for coming in and making this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you like what you heard, please subscribe. And don't forget to give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. Or if that seems too hard, tell a friend to listen. Or you could start your own tiger zoo in some rural part of the country, plot to kill a rival tiger zoo owner, launch a fake music career, marry lots of young, no, vulnerable... No, no, Shut it down. We're done. Yeah. I knew it was wrong as soon as it came out of my mouth. But hey, thanks for listening. See you soon.